It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp with a harmonious sound, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man doesn't know. A fool does not understand this. That though the wicked spring up like grass, all the workers of iniquity seem to flourish. It is that they might be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, and the workers of iniquity will be scattered. But the righteous, the faithful, will flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in Him. Brothers, sisters in Christ, our help is in the name of the Lord, the God who created the heavens and the earth. Receive His greeting. Grace unto you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits which are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the first begotten of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood and has made us kings and priests to our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, next would you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Revelation Chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. My practice in Omaha is to read the Ten Commandments. The Exodus one Sunday. Uh, the Deuteronomy on the third Sunday. And then the other Sundays of the month to vary through various exhortative passages that we find throughout the Scriptures. And um, I, I don't mean any slight of that, but I think we don't know our Bibles well enough. And as we go through... Uh, from week to week, these various passages, various exhortations, um, it's only for our benefits that we are reminded and, and, and renewed in our, in our thinking and so on. So, Revelation chapter 2, uh, let's read through the first 17 verses there. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet you have this, yet this you have, 
You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you shall will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold, my, you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him of the hidden man. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So these words are are all words spoken by Christ to his church, to his churches of the the seven churches of Asia Minor. So they're largely Gentile churches. And yet, uh, as we know, those churches are composed of both Jews and Gentiles. And the exhortation concludes each time. He who has an ear. Yeah, right there it is. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so always our ears are to be tuned uh, to the words and the ways of the Lord. would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 uh, recounts for us the rescue, the passing through of Israel through the Red Sea. So we're going to read the whole chapter, which is a little bit long, 31 verses. And um, uh, we will look at how the Lord shows his people that he is the only one who can help them. 
He is the only deliverer, the only rescuer. Um, and the thought occurred to me as I was reviewing my sermon this morning, though I preached it last week as well, in a way the passing through the Red Sea is kind of uh, the 11th plague. Because all of the ten plagues were to show what? The greatness, the glory of God. It was to humble Pharaoh and, and so on. In fact, the, the whole sequence here uh, is an explanation. Uh, Pharaoh says uh, to Moses, Who is the Lord that I should listen to you? That I should obey him? And then we get the first plague, the second plague, the third plague. And, and as those plagues continue and increase, so does their severity. And, and even the tenth plague, we would say, oh, it's a penultimate, right? Well, that's, that's as bad as it gets. And probably, but what happens at the Red Sea uh, is also uh, a very remarkable judgment uh, in that um, whether Pharaoh was in the, <laughs> in the midst of it or not, certainly his, his, his chariots were, his horses were, and his army was. And they all perished. Anyway, let's read... Exodus chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-hi-harath, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-zaphon. You shall camp before it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say to the children of the children of Israel, They are bewildered in the land. The wilderness has closed them in, that I will, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so that he will pursue them, and will again gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They went and camped in that place. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them. Camping by the sea, besides Pi-ha-harath, before Baal-zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so that so they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt thus with us, to bring us up out of Egypt? Is it not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still 
I think he had volume when he said this, I'm pretty sure. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which will be accomplished for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Stop complaining. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord. It's the first time this glory cloud is called that. And the angel of the Lord, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians. Look at the next sentence. The Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord, that's the name Jehovah, fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the water, over the sea, that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord withdrew, overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry ground, dry land, in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the the cycle or the sequence of events in the book of Exodus, uh, the previous study that we had, at least in in Bridgewater, was that of the Passover. And of course, the Passover was the tenth plague. Uh, The Passover was when God uh, sent the destroyer in all of the land of Egypt. Anyone whose house did not have the, the blood on the lintel or the doorpost lost the eldest son of every family, the eldest sheep, goat, oxen of all their livestock was put to death. And and, and in that study, it was that great loss uh, that actually convinced the Egyptians that they should let Israel go. Uh, In fact, there's even uh, a little bit of a question when they decided, when Pharaoh decided to pursue the Israelites, were they intending to destroy them? I'd always thought that they were. Uh, But the motive for their going was that their slave, their workers, had left and weren't planning to come back. So somewhere between the two of them, and certainly Pharaoh uh, was was a wicked and evil man. In fact, what we see in this story of the ten plagues is how how foolishly rebellious uh, sinful hearts can be. Um, and, and of course, there is, you know, God hardens his heart, Pharaoh hardens his heart. There, there's that whole discussion. But the reality is, is Pharaoh uh, is, is, is bent on, on wickedness. He, he can't think straight. Uh, in fact, his, his servants at one point say, don't you know that Egypt has been destroyed? Nothing left. And, and yet they give bad advice. They say, let them go, but not their children. Let them go, but not their cattle. And, and so they, they even prolonged. Uh, the judgments that would come uh, upon them. And so the Passover is uh, Exodus chapter 12. The passing through the Red Sea is is chapter 14. And so this, uh, from my perspective, is is, it's part of this bigger story that we're studying. And and the big story is the Bible story, right? Uh, Starts in Genesis concludes with Revelation chapter 21. And so every passage, every book, every prophecy, every epistle, every psalm fits into the context of the big story. And that big story is is what we have to realize is God's purpose uh, to accomplish His will. God's purpose to to redeem His people and to bring them to Himself in the promised land. Of course, we're mixing metaphors because the the, the promised land for us is, is the life in the world that is to come. Uh, the consummation, when life as we know it ends. Uh, when the dead are raised. When those who are alive are changed. And we meet the Lord. And He ushers us into this eternal kingdom. Well, the story of Exodus is kind of a microcosm of that big story. Uh, in in, in, in this chapter here, we, we have a, a, a multitude of signs and wonders, of, of the miraculous things that take place. Uh, if you go through the pages of Scripture, 
there's really just three or four times like this. It's not normal for miracles, signs, and wonders to be performed. That's not normal. But, but it is astounding and, and remarkable because this, the God who did those miracles, signs, and wonders, is He able to do those things today? Well, that and more. He is able to do all things that He pleases. And, and in fact, um, we just finished a study through the book of Revelation, and uh, Dr. Robert Godfrey said, you notice there's no battle spot in the book of Revelation? Wait a minute, there's Armageddon. What, what, about, what about that? What about that? Well, you read them, and, and all of God's enemies are overcome by the word of His mouth, by the brightness of His glory. That is the astoundingly great God whom we serve. And it's good for us to remember. You know, we might feel like we're a little bit weak and foolish to serve the Lord in, in, in an age where so many people would discount those truths and realities. But the truth and reality is that God is who He says He is. He is going to do all that He has promised. Just think of how Jesus could talk in the, the Olivet Discord. Uh, heaven and earth will pass away. But what? But my words will never pass away. In other words, He will accomplish everything that He says. Well, what we're going to see here, and i got to get on with our story, I suppose. What we're going to see here is that God is going to provide the assurance that Israel's never going back to Egypt. Uh, well, here, here's my theme. After delivering Israel from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, the Lord shows them that He is their only hope. He is their only deliverer. And we will note first the divine presence with the Israelites. Secondly, the hopeless, in quotation marks, situation of the Israelites. And then thirdly, the remarkable deliverance of the Israelites. So point one, we'll look back. What do we learn about what has taken place already? Uh, point two, we'll assess our situation or their situation, where they are, uh, in this place of, of, of great danger. And then we will see what God is going to do. The divine presence uh, is an interesting subject and topic. Uh, because God showed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, God promised Abraham that in the fullness of time, his seed... Through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so that promise is fulfilled by groups of people like us all over the world, from various nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. Uh, in other words, the, the gospel was never intended to be just for the Jews. It was intended to be for men and women of every color, every language, every location uh, on the face of the earth. And so when we speak about God's presence, His attention uh, is focused uh, on His people. And so He takes care of Abraham in His trials. He takes care of, of Isaac. He takes care of Jacob. Right? He takes care of Jacob's dead son, Joseph. In fact, he becomes the second to Pharaoh 
in the land of Egypt. And uh, it's in the land of, of Egypt that uh, Jacob's family moves and, and grows over the next four centuries, four and a half centuries, uh, into a great multitude. In fact, when, when, when it, the people of Israel leave Egypt, there's 600,000 fighting men. 600,000. So run the actuaries. That probably means that probably means that there were upwards of two to three million in total of all those uh, of, of the people of, of Israel. Now, logistically, that's a problem. How, how does such a big group of people move? How do they cross the Red Sea during the night? Well, uh, there's pretty good indication that the place where Israel crossed over the Red Sea uh, was not a narrow band like we, we see in the Ten Commandments with water this way and, and a few single file rolled of paths of, of, of Israelites and chariots or wagons and such, uh, but could well have been miles wide. And, and there's places in the, the, by the Red Sea where even today you can look at those places and it says, yeah, that would make sense that they would cross there. And, and they're miles wide, so it would be uh, a, a movement forward uh, at the same time. Well, we see in the last part of chapter 13, the first part of chapter 14, uh, look at verse 17. There's some interesting things here. When it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead his people by way of the, the Philistines, although that was near. For God says, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Uh, did you know along the coastline between Egypt and Palestine, it's about 150, maybe 250 miles? So they could have gone from Egypt to the promised land, probably two weeks. Wagon trains, they can travel at eight miles a day. Well, you divide... You divide 150, 200 miles, 200, 250 miles by 8, and that tells you the number of days it would take. Less than a month, for sure. But God says that we're not going to go that way. He, he leads them in a, another way. And that other way, um, look at verse 18, so God led the people, this is chapter 13, God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him and placed them, um, that he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, Surely God will visit you and carry my bones from here. And so it tells us the place where they journeyed to and journeyed from. Um, the presence of God is described in verses 20 and 21. Chapter 13 again. Let's just go to verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night. And so now we have this glory cloud. This pillar of cloud by day, this pillar of fire by night. And what was that pillar? What was that? Well, that was the glory cloud. That was the place that God inhabited on behalf of his people. And so when we come to verse 19, we read about the angel of the Lord who was before them, 
when the Egyptians came out with the, the, the chariots and the armies and the horsemen behind them, what do they do? Well, Israel fears. We're going to look at that a little bit. But um, God says, be still. Keep quiet. See the salvation of your God. And so it is that uh, God's presence was with his people. Remember the name Emmanuel? God with us is what the, one, one of Jesus' names. Well, in a fashion, God was with his people as they were on their journey out of Egypt and, and into the, the wilderness of those 40 years. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Well, they went, not the shortest route, not the most easy way to travel, but they, God led them in another way. And that's where we really, the story picks up in chapter 14. Uh, the Lord speaks to Moses, and he says, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-ha-herath, between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. Baal of the north, the watchtower Migdol, and the Pi-ha-herath uh, literally means the... Uh, place of salt reeds. Uh, we're not exactly sure where this place is. Many, many times in the scriptures, uh, you can look at the maps in the back of your Bibles or wherever, and it will tell you exactly where certain events are by their names. Well, these three names, that's not the case. Uh, but what we do see uh, is that it seems like Israel uh, is going to be in, in, in trouble and look at verse 3. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel that they are bewildered by the land. And the wilderness has closed them in. That's what Pharaoh's going to think. That's Pharaoh's plan, right? Now we have God's plan. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that I will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And the next paragraph the watchtower, Migdal, there, there were people watching where the Israelites were going. How else would he know? Right? They report back to Pharaoh and say, hey, the people have blundered. They, they've made a mistake. Um, it was told the king of Egypt, verse 5, that the people have fled. They're not just going out to, to sacrifice and come back. No, they're, they're leaving us. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants turned against the people and said, why have we done this? that we should let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, 600 choice chariots on all the chariots of Egypt, with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Alright, and so, what, what, it's not explicit, but it's, we can kind of figure it out. This place where Israel had camped. Okay, here's the Red Sea. Here's a mountain range here. And then here's the mountain range here, and they're in the valley. Uh, in other words, kind of a box, a box canyon. Uh, they're, they're kind of in a place, if, there was, uh, if you're going to ambush somebody, they're in a great spot for that. And, and so that's what, what Pharaoh thinks, right? Ah, they're, 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 they're making a mistake. He overtook them camping by the sea, besides pi hi Haroth and Baal-Zephon, Baal of the north. And then Pharaoh drew near the children of Israel. They lifted their eyes. They probably saw the dust, heard the noise of their marching and their chariots and all that. 
And it says they cried out to the Lord. It doesn't stop there. That would be great. But it doesn't stop there. They go on. Verse 11. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us uh, and brought us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you? Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. They'd rather be slaves than free. Something ironic about that. Uh, Probably not exactly a great application, but uh, when people elect or vote for socialism, they are voting to think, oh, I'm going to get possessions of other people without working for them. Well, that's kind of the idea. They want to benefit, but they don't want to pay the price. They don't want to do the work. Anyway, Moses says to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. But God will provide a way of deliverance. The deliverance that he will provide is to escape through the Red Sea. In fact, it's a little bit puzzling. If you look at verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? We're not told that Moses is praying to God and and crying out to him, but apparently he was. And God says, shush. Now's not the time for prayer. Now's the time to move. Right? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And they, they will be destroyed. And so Moses does what God says. He raises his staff, raises his arm, and God sends a mighty wind. Uh, How do miracles work anyway? Well, the almighty Lord of the universe can do whatever he wills, whatever he pleases. Um, The division of the Red Sea, and and you'd read, you know, liberal scholarship, they say, oh no, it's probably just a real shallow spot, and, uh, you know, the worldly... uh, Maybe there was an earthquake that raised it up and lowered Whatever. We hear the Word of God. What do we do? We believe the Word of God. In fact, that's part of our definition of true faith. Whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word. It's more than that. But that's an essential part of what faith is. It believes. It it, it trusts God. It, It seeks Him. It serves Him. Uh, and, and, and believes what God says. And, and the interesting thing, if you read God's Word, and, and in your heart of heart, believe what it says, then you just had the witness of the Holy Spirit to your heart that you are a child of God. And that is a beautiful thing. Uh, in fact, in the Catechism, not really a Catechism lesson at this point, but I, you know, when you discover things, you just got to share them. Um, it, it spends about over 25% of its time in the catechism explaining 
the Apostles' Creed, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and so on. Well, at the end of it, it has this question. Think about this. What does it help you now that you believe all this? How does it help you now that you believe all this? The answer says, well, that I might know that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. How does believing the Apostles' Creed and the truth summarized in them give you that assurance? Well, because that's wisdom from above. Wisdom from below says, no, I don't believe that. That's too hard to believe. I can't accept that. That doesn't make any sense. Unless I see the fingerprints in his hand, the nail prints in his hands, and, and, and put my hand, my hand in his side, I won't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Really. What happens the next Sunday? Jesus stands before him. Thomas is on his face. My Lord and my God. What happened? He was given faith. He believes that which has been given. And, and, and if you believe what the Bible says, that's a great witness and testimony that you are a regenerate, believing child of the King. Because the world doesn't believe that. In fact, when <laughs> we're doing the Truth Project in, in Omaha for, for a few weeks or for a month or two, and um, Del Tackett says, if you want to know what's wrong, each and every time it's the opposite of what's right. There's only one God, says the Bible. What does the world say? Oh, we have all kinds of gods. You can believe whatever you want. And, and truth? Just, you just have to decide that on your own. No. That's not how it works. Um, pick anything. God created man male and female. For this reason, a, a, a man shall leave his parents and be joined with his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. What, what does the world say? Is that what the world says? No, just the opposite. You can decide if you're going to be a boy or a girl. You can decide if you want to marry a, a guy or a gal. Everybody gets to decide that. That's what the world says. That's not what the Bible says. One, you can believe and it will lead you to life. The other is false and, and will lead you to a world of, of suffering, uh, harm, and pain. All right, let's, let's, let's wrap this up. So we have the Pharaoh and his army behind us. We have Moses praying and God opens the sea, the Red Sea before him, and the, and the, the Israelites pass through. God hardens their hearts. Look at, um, oh, where do we go here? And the Egyptians pursued and went after them, verse 23, and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And now it came to pass. The third watch, the morning watch. I'm guessing that's from 3 to 6. Don't really know for sure. That the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of cloud pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Made their chariot wheels fall off. Gave them all kinds of troubles. 
so that they concluded, let us flee from before the face of the Lord. For the Lord, face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said, lift up your staff over the water. He does that, and the water goes back to its place. All those chariots, all those horses, all those soldiers, done. Um, There are some studies out there that want to, that, that hypothesize that, well, if there were all these chariots underground, underwater, there should be some remnant that can be found. And so they went to this place where they thought was most likely there's a shelf or at the entrance of the, uh, the Suez Strait or the other one. I forget which one it is. And um, they put down underwater cameras and they find what they're looking for. Chariots without wheels, wheels without chariots. Uh, I, I can't say absolutely that the people who made that documentary were up and up, but it all seemed to make sense. Uh, but regardless, God judged Pharaoh, sent a great judgment upon him, and they were destroyed. And so it is that uh, the remarkable deliverance that God supplies was an 11th plague on the Egyptians, was a token of deliverance uh, by God for his people, in fact, um, at one point you wonder, what, what really do the Israelites believe? What do they really know about who they are and, and how they are the, the fulfillment of promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do they know that? What, what is their spiritual condition? And, and, and for the most part, it's a tough call. Uh, I know when they leave Egypt, we're told that they are a mixed multitude. Uh, I think mixed there is uh, kind of genealogy-wise. There were, there were those true blue Israelites, uh, the, the actual descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then there were others that were joined to them. And, um, and that's what makes the mixed multitude. And, 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 and to some degree, there were those who were genuine believers and faithful. And there were those that weren't. So it was mixed multitude in that way as well. Well, the Lord provided deliverance to them. Uh, listen to verse yeah, 30 and 31. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. God delivered His people. He came to them in their time of greatest need and supplied exactly what they needed. And and so the next chapter is the Song of Moses wherein uh, it celebrates, it it memorializes. It's a song they're supposed to keep singing uh, generationally, I believe. And celebrates the fact that God delivered them. That God was their helper. uh, That He uh, supplied all that they needed. And so we, we can say that it is of God's nature, as he's revealed in Scripture, to be the deliverer, to be the helper. In fact, Psalm 121, 
Uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The Lord is the only one to whom we need to look and depend and trust, for He is the great God. He is the great King. The Lord shows His people that He is theirs and they are His in granting them, supplying them all that they need. So how does this translate forward? You know, our time is spent. Uh, can, can we expect the Lord to divide the waters before us? Maybe. Most likely not. But what we do have, I, I think of, uh, in fact, I'd encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, the first 13 verses today. It talks about Israel going through, all went through the Red Sea, all were baptized in the water and the sea. Uh, but then it says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. But then it says, if a man thinks that he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. No temptation, no trial, no trouble has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 